If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is uh, Mike Roth. Today I'm here with Martin Wilhelmi of UBS, financial uh, advisor, and we're going to have an interesting show today. Before we, we, we get started with uh, and get deep into conversation, I figured I'd tell everyone who's going to be on the next couple of shows. Tomorrow, on the 22nd, we're going to have Dan Nyer, who is a developer of properties on Next Thursday, a week from today, June 28th, we're going to have Walter Becker. He is a business broker. He sells, buys and helps people buy and sell small businesses. And on uh, the 29th, we're going to have one of our friends, uh, Richard Puzo, who's going to talk about it. sky eye weather and the weather, the importance of weather and weather forecasting in business. We'll announce the July schedule on tomorrow's program. We really have some fantastic people lined up for the month of July. For those of you who are in San Luis President's Club, next Monday we're going to have the Networking Works Program and we're going to be working on, for the next two weeks, building relationships and building strategic business relationships that result in referrals and introductions. Okay. So let me introduce uh, Martin Wilhelmi. I guess I met, met Martin, what, five or six years ago? Maybe it was ten years you ago. You know, it's been... Uh Getting on 10. Getting on 10 years ago. Martin has been in the financial services business for most of those 10 years, has moved up to the highest ranks of, of that industry. Your professional designation is? I'm a registered representative and a investment advisor, Series 7, 6, and Series 3 for foreign exchange and commodities. And the title that I carry at UBS is vice president. That's good. You know, we have a, a turbulent world economy and a, uh, uh, some people think, a difficult business environment that we're operating in. Our uh, federal government seems to be uh, in the mode of uh, printing more money, and for a lot of businesses, they're looking for sharper, better ways to do business. Martin, I know you're not an economic forecaster, but by way of introduction, why don't you tell our listeners what you and UBS are feeling about the domestic U.S. economy and the 
world economy? Mike, that's a fair question, and uh, economics uh, occupies uh, a better part of my week. And, and the, con- the economists at UBS have uh, have uh, opinions to the economy here and in the world, as as such that in the United States, uh, businesses are uh, doing things, and consumers uh, are out there spending. Uh, but uh, there is some slowdown in spending. Uh, there is uh, still hiring, but the uh, growth in hiring is slowed down. That's what Ben Bernanke confirmed uh, just two days ago. And, uh, and Asia has been in a real slump, and they're being affected by Europe quite a bit. And uh, the question now is, is really, you know, how connected of a world, how dependent are we on each other, or is uh, the U.S. going to be the real growth engine to to pull everyone out of this this global malaise? We're we're almost in a malaise situation. If if you're uh, fixed to the headlines here every day, but trying to get beyond the headlines and and some of the drama out of, of, you know, Mediterranean politics... um, there's real activity, uh, you know, whether it's Apple shipping more iPhones or, uh, you know, Caterpillar sending more farm equipment to uh, to Russia. So uh, it is not all bad. There, there are opportunities out there. And we do have a positive estimate on the S&P 500 for year-end. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's an interesting uh, perspective. Uh, in the uh, middle market where I talk to a lot of people, uh, we've heard some interesting and positive things over the last few months. Uh, one of the interesting positive things is that in industrial goods, the uh, amount of product on the shelves has gone to almost zero. In fact, we had one of our guests say that uh, he was expanding his business, expanding his plant, uh, put in new heating and air conditioning for the plant, bought a lot of stuff to install, and discovered with his electrical people that the power transformer from Duke Energy wasn't big enough. So he figured it was be a, a day or two, a week, to get a new one. They wanted an eight-month lead time. There was no product on the shelf. It's custom-built. Mike, I like that example. It's absolutely excellent for something we're seeing in the economy. We did not see uh, uh, you know, about 10 years ago during the last recession and, and coming out of that one. Uh, when we look back 10, 15 years ago, the uh, productivity uh, renaissance uh, that was enabled through the whole IT revolution in the 90s really enabled uh, Fortune 500 corporate America to become much more efficient and and become uh, you know global champions of, of new ways of doing business. And, and then in the First decade of the new millennium, European and Asian corporations look to what American corporations have done. It's very interesting now as uh, we're kind of trying to battle out of the uh, the great uh, repression and and trying to get get into economic growth again. Is that not only are large corporations improving productivity, but small uh, and medium-sized businesses have improved their productivity. Tremendously, so a lot of tools for productivity have have become available to small and medium-sized enterprises, and and the good news uh, really 
is that uh, they're more efficient, they're going to have margins. Um, the um, maybe only drawback here for a while is that uh, that has resulted in less pickup in uh, hiring because of that efficiency. So people that uh, don't have the job to go back to that they used to have, uh, it's going to take them a while to retrain and, and find a different uh, business uh, to be productive in. I can understand that. I was talking to a fellow who called over uh, looking for a new job in a new industry. Going, wanted to go into sales, and his old world had very extremely little sales in it. And the, the good news for him is that uh, many of our clients uh, who have salespeople are saying to me, Mike, I want to hire A players or A minus players or the extremely worst case, a B plus player who wants to be an A player. Uh, and they say, Mike, I'm having difficulty finding them. I think they're out there. Uh, I know they're out there. Uh, and people, company owners, sales managers, vice presidents of sales are looking for those A players because they want to expand their business. Now is the time uh, that there are a lot of job openings and the great people are going to get hired. Uh, the people who don't have the skill sets are going to find it difficult. It's the skill set match that seems to be uh, the real challenge in, in, uh, in advanced economy like ours, in advanced economy like Japan, where uh, you know, never before in history is there such a gap to be filled in terms of skills match. And uh, on a personal editorial note, Mike, I'm, I'm wondering if the problem is the fact that in the last uh, 20 years we told everyone to go to college and get a college degree. Uh, education to me is is the most important thing uh, in, in society, but uh, I'm questioning uh, if it's been directed appropriately. And um, I, I like hearing people talk about vocational training, uh, skills training that um, you know you've you've heard a lot and seen, read a lot about that happens in Germany, and that's why they right now have a low single digit unemployment. Mm -hmm. uh, where um, there is, in fact, I was talking to a uh, so a billion dollar corporation in Germany, and uh, at the director level, the, the gentleman said to me, "Mike, things are really good. We're having difficulty keeping up with orders," uh, which was a, a extremely encouraging thing to hear. Uh, companies are, are looking for top players today. They may not find them on the first pass, but they're definitely out there. And the companies that are hiring even low entry-level sales-grade people are looking. We have one client that has uh, seven seats, uh, only four are filled. We can't find the other three on an inside sales job. And on an outside sales job, there are probably another two slots that are open and we don't have the right people in the right geography. You know, Mike, it's great to see companies that invest like that in, in, in their workforce. And uh, the ultimate goal is to, to get the skills, competencies, where these people are going to turn on quality products and services. And uh, in this you know, advanced economic environment we're in, uh, consumers have a lot of choices. And 
more and more, if they can afford it, they're going to go for quality products and services. They only want to buy the best. It's a very competitive environment. And um, we're, we're in a day and age where I see a lot of flight to quality. It's more expensive to buy it twice or three times when the first product you bought didn't work. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, from personal experience, I can vouch for that. Well, we, we both have had that experience. Uh, when we uh, look at our economy as a whole, uh, there's a, a lot of room, and I hear stories of people taking production back to America at the same time as I hear people taking uh, call center jobs to other countries. And uh, uh, does uh, UBS have a call center? Uh, Mike, uh, we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, Where we, is it located? Uh, we, we have them around the world. Mm-hmm. We have some here. Uh, we do have some in Asia. Uh, we do have some in Europe. We have a global footprint of, of uh, clients in, in 150 countries and 65,000 staff around the world. Uh, so we probably focus first on, on the function of it. Uh, there's probably been some cost efficiencies we've we've gained by uh, rationalizing into into you know lower costs uh, resources. Well, not not your company, but a, another company uh, that unfortunately I still do business with. I discovered moved their call center from Cincinnati to the Philippines, and I've had the unfortunate experience of having to talk to them for technical support on two or three occasions over the last couple of months. And these people don't know anything. They can't, they follow a script. They don't understand what I'm saying. I barely understand what they're saying. And situations uh, are not resolved in a timely and efficient fashion. I think that can be a turnoff, Mike. And, you think uh, it can? You think? experience like that, uh, you know. But uh, there are examples going the other way. I think through... Technology and, and the fact that Asian labor markets are getting more expensive, uh, services are being brought here to this side. And the best example I like to point to is, is a real localized service. Uh, if I have problems with my uh, Apple product, I can go to the uh, Genius Bar at the Apple Store in Kenwood mm-hmm. and uh, get a, a live, competent person who can understand me quickly and easily. Solve my problem and educate me at the same time. It's it's a wonderful experience. Yes, uh, there are people who are attempting to clone the Apple Store for their products because they have a better retail system. Uh, my wife had a problem with an Apple product, and I frankly couldn't solve it. I thought the product was defective. She took it back to the Genius Bar. And the guy said, oh, ma'am, you, you haven't plugged in the plug the whole way. Hey. And as soon as he did that, worked like a charm. That took uh, probably, what, uh, three nanoseconds. And if that was over a phone to a call center on another part of the planet, then uh, that could have been a 33-minute phone call. Right, right, to find out that you had to put 90 pounds of pressure to get the jack on the headphone yeah. into the... Uh, Apple product, sort of that's it was pushed in all the way. It was an interesting scenario. 
you know, the, the best companies in the world, and, and we just talked about one of them, and, and there are many others here, um, are bringing things back to, to being practical for you and I, uh, and then we're willing to pay for it. Uh, you know, I'm going to pay a little bit extra for that Apple product, but you know what? It pays off from saved time, saved headaches. Saved aggravation. We're going to take a short commercial break here, and uh, we'll be back after these words. If you're interested in uh, asking Martin a direct question, you can call in on 646-595-4916. Again, that was 646-595-4916. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back here with uh, Martin Wilhelmy of UBS. Martin, why don't you tell uh, our audience what your path was and how you you got here to to UBS? Uh, You graduated from an international college? Yeah, Mike. I I had my undergraduate from the University of Cincinnati in engineering Mm -hmm. and worked in the 90s at Anderson Consulting, which renamed to Accenture. That was sort of in the... uh, the, uh, New economy, uh, process engineering kind of revolution that was occurring in the United States. And then uh, had an international assignment where then I kind of took an opportunity to to jump and uh, pick up an MBA, Master's of Business, at INSEAD, which is a business school in in France. And they're sort of. What was the name again? INSEAD, I'll spell it out, I-N-S-E-A-D. Don't ask me about that acronym, but uh, the tagline is Business School for the World. They're a sister school of Wharton. And um, 
After that, I came back to Cincinnati and I worked at the Fifth Third Private Bank and Fifth Third Securities and now in UBS Financial Services, Inc., which has about 230 employees here in Cincinnati. And according to uh, to some data, the, the largest asset manager in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. about $15 billion in assets uh, between two offices in Kenwood and downtown Cincinnati Scripps Center. Good. So if someone wanted to uh, to get a hold of you, Martin, uh, to ask a question or some advice, what phone number should they use? In- they can feel free to call me uh, anytime at my desk, direct 513-369-4021. I'd be uh, happy to answer questions, and uh, uh, we're there. Good. Uh, during the break, uh, Martin and I were talking about gold as or a commodity as a uh, hedge against inflation, we didn't get very far, Martin. So let's let's start again. What what do you think of precious metals as a hedge against inflation with the printing presses running wild in Washington? The presses are running wild. Uh, the inflation uh, could be seen in parts of the economy, like in foods, but uh, uh, net on average, the CPI uh, is not really giving us inflation. Uh, housing is a big component, and with uh, that deflationary force, um, there's there's really not that that big inflation across the board that one might have expected. And the big part of that is that the uh, the money, all that excess sort of new money, is actually not cir- circulating through the economy. There's there's not that momentum of money changing hands. It's actually, you know, with the banks and the banks park it back at the Fed and this sort of uh, have this, this this little relationship where the uh, federal government says, dear banks, uh, we ask you to hold more uh, assets so that you're less risky. Uh, and guess what assets you have to hold? You have to hold the U.S. Treasuries. And uh, so it, it's a funny thing, uh, and a, a big part of this, this all is to kind of help support the housing market. But uh, you know, what what uh, what do people do when they're inflationary times? You know, the Weimar Republic is, is a famous example, and there's other examples in history. And uh, precious metals are, are where people have gone to uh, to find uh, security and a sense of knowing and gold uh, is a very real thing, although it conjures up a lot of emotions, just like uh, an Apple product, by the way, that we just talked about. But, uh, you know, what is gold? Uh, it certainly is a store of value. Mm-hmm. Like in uh, two years ago, our uh, desk of precious metals in, in uh, Zurich, together with analysts in, in London and New York, they, uh, they did a detailed study of gold. And one observation to support the thesis of the store value was, you know, why, why would the price of gold really have increased here in the United States over the last years mm-hmm. uh, if there wasn't that much inflation? And, and uh, you know what they did? They, they they took a basket of currencies, Mike. They took uh, the dollar, of course, the British pound, the yen, the euro, and then they went back 300 years. And, of course, they looked at the predecessor currencies, and they put them all on top of each other, and they found a very interesting thing over these 300 what years. What did they find, Martin? 
that uh, gold essentially keeps pace with inflation. So it's a store value that says, you know, if I put my money in gold, uh, it's not going to lose its worth over the long run, regardless of what happens in the world. So gold as an investment or, or a hedge against inflation. It will keep pace with inflation. It won't beat inflation. Um in certain periods, it could. You know, you have demand drivers, being the Indian jewelry industry, mm-hmm. uh, the central banks. Mm-hmm. Those are the two biggest demand drivers. So if they really want it, you know, hey, gold is going to work in your favor. But can it beat inflation? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. It will certainly match it over the long run. When you talk about gold or various forms of owning gold from owning uh, uh, ingots uh, to currently minted coins like the Cougaran to um, numismatic grade old U.S. coins prior to 1933 to uh, exchange traded funds. Uh, What do you think are the best ways that people should put a portion of their portfolio in gold or silver? There are many ways, um, and uh, we'll get to silver in a moment. Uh, I think GLD, the exchange-traded fund for gold, is probably the easiest way to access gold because uh, the uh, iShares uh, company will physically purchase gold and warehouse it. So if you buy, you know, shares in GLD, that's matched with real gold. So they're not trying to create some synthetic replica of the price of gold. So how how does the investor know that there's real gold to back up the investment? Well, I guess you have to take the face value of the prospectus that, uh, that uh, you know, BlackRock, who owns iShares, has written. Um, there is a uh, real way to redeem your shares in GLD for fit, for the physical gold if you actually own 100,000 shares of GLD. One share is, is like around $160. Okay, so that's a lot of money. But um, there are other ways to own gold. Um, I'm not an expert in the field of coins. Uh, Mike, I know you've had uh, personal experiences where, of course, uh, you know, the physical aspect of, of storing it is, is something you have to plan for. Uh, the commissions are high, I think. Well, definitely they're, they're much higher than I think they should be. What, they, what kind of commissions uh, have you experienced, Mike? Uh, in excess of 20% uh, being built into the buy price of a coin. That's not unusual. And the real question is what happens on the sell side? What kind of pricing you might get? Uh, is it is it built into the spread? And well, there's a different transaction. If I buy a, a gold coin from you here in this room and then sell it back to you a year later here in this room, uh, th- th- there's a, a fixed transaction. Uh, I've heard some stories where people are shipping coins back to uh, dealers. Who are claiming that the box that they came in was empty, and the product wasn't actually in the box. Yeah. Um, 
that that actually did happen to us in the computer business about 20 years ago. There are practical aspects, uh, you know, to that. Uh, UBS lets investors buy physical coals, uh, usually a million dollar minimum, for just a one uh, percent commission fee and mm-hmm. a zero point two five percent annual custody fee, uh, but. Uh, it really is only suitable for a person of, of substantial wealth to go out and buy buy real gold in those quantities, and uh, and then it's ingot as opposed to coins. And then it's ingot. You know, what are you going to do with that? Uh, well, you know, you know, it's in a vault somewhere. Uh, uh, at certain times in in, in the market cycle, uh, some analysts of gold will say. Gosh, you know, go out and buy the gold miners. You, you can buy them more cheaply, or they're going to grow faster than the price of gold. Uh, that's going to start getting a bit more speculative, uh, where you know you got to understand them, you know, a lot about these mining companies to to make that leap to invest. Well, that's a, a mining company is a hell of a big risk. You know, when there's financing problems, like in, during the last liquidity crisis. Uh, finance uh, mining companies are very cash flow needy, Mike. And if there are uh, their problems, uh, that, that share price can you know drop in half. Uh, that's not what I would call store value investment. Or, or go to zero real fast. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're an, an equity investor, you take full risk. Mm-hmm. Full risk means you lose everything. Yeah, it's. Not a safe investment. Uh, you know, real gold I might consider safe. Mm-hmm. Um, a store of value, usually an inflation uh, inflation uh, meter. Hedge. A hedge. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's uh, take a, a short break here again. If you want to call in and ask Martin a question, uh, number is 646 and uh let's uh let's listen to a a Sandler rule rule forty three that's one we haven't played before. Hello, I'm Ken Edmondson with Sandler Training, and I'm here to talk to you about rule number forty three That rule says you don't win by getting a yes, you learn to win by getting a no. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Here's the reason we say that. Yes is exciting. Yes always motivates us as salespeople. Who doesn't like to get a yes? But there are four reasons that getting a no is probably, in most cases, a better way to learn to sell. Here's reason number one. Most likely, you're going to get a lot more no's, right? Most likely, the answer you are getting from your prospect will be a no because that's what they're prepared to do when you come in to meet with them or to talk with them. Their normal knee-jerk reaction is a no. Get ready for it. Be prepared for it. If a no destroys your confidence, uh, causes your day to uh, uh, go negative, then you're not ready uh, for the job at hand. So, number one, expect a no because that's probably what it's going to be. We're going to get a lot more of those. Number two, not only is it always a no, but Every time you get a no, you learn something. You get a lesson. A lesson will be, how can I do it better? What can I do uh, that will help me in the next one? Every no that a professional salesperson gets is a valuable experience, a valuable lesson of how to get a yes. Thirdly, if you get a no, it should make you stronger, not weaker. 
The more you experience this, the stronger you get. Your, your whole psychology to selling gets stronger as you hear no. You realize they're not rejecting me, they're not rejecting my product or service. It's probably a temporary thing and I need to be better, I need to be uh, prepared for that no. It makes me stronger. Here's probably the best of the four reasons. Every time you get a no, you are closer to getting a yes. Every time you get a no from that prospect, you're closer to getting that prospect to say yes. Every time you get a no from that prospect, you're closer to getting the next prospect to say yes. Try it. You may find that by going for no, you become stronger and you find more yeses. So going for yes isn't the way to win. Going for no will teach you to learn or help you to learn to win much faster. Rule number 43. Well, this is Mike Roth. I'm back here with uh, Martin with Helmy. And uh, Martin, I think what we'll do is ask a, uh, a different uh, kind of a question. Uh, and it's really more about the world economy and, and pricing. We've noticed over the last several months that the price of crude oil has gone from uh, $103 a barrel down to $83 a barrel. It's about a 20% uh, reduction in cost, yet the price of gasoline at the pump has reacted by going down uh, 20 or 30 cents. What do you think about that? Mike, it's a great question, and the problem has to do with uh, lack of refining capacity here in this country. So let me address that uh, in a bit more in depth, but let's uh, take a step back to the greater uh, energy problem and uh, how that actually sags out from the uh, gold conversation that we just had, mm -hmm. where you know we saw the price of gold increase uh, substantially over the last uh, five years. But for the last six months, it's been kind of stable to going down slightly. Exactly. It's been very interesting. And here's the relationship between oil and gold. Mm. Yeah, over the uh, you know go back the last decade of uh, oil business has been you know a multi-trillion-dollar uh, petrodollar kind of trade, where all these dollars have come to these uh, petroleum-producing nations, who have had a mandate in the last ten years, Mike, to uh, diversify their petrodollars into some other currencies. They said, you know, we can't have all of the money in dollars. Let's diversify a bit. And that's, you know, probably a reasonable thing. And, and where do you go? Well, the biggest other currencies are the euro and the yen. And, you know, there's a little bit of Canadian dollars and Swiss franc available. And that's actually uh, pushed up the euro and the yen over the last years and, and made the dollar relatively weaker. Not so much because there are big problems in the United States. There are some problems, but it is really a, a consequence of the diversification of the oil trade. And then a weaker dollar is translated into a stronger gold. Mm -hmm. If you looked in dollars, but if you took and looked at a basket of currencies of euros, dollars, British pounds, and so forth, the price of gold didn't dramatically increase in the last years. It, it did increase, uh, but not as much as just if we looked at it against dollar. So so what's going on with all this oil money? It's, it has been flowing to the petroleum-producing countries. 
that tide is slowing down. And that's the tide of, of dollars going to those oil-producing countries is slowing down, Mike. So that brings us really to what's happening here in Ohio, especially in northern Ohio, the the oil coming out of shale through fragging, uh, where maybe there were a few hundred wells today, and maybe three years from today there'll be 10,000 wells to bring oil out here in the States. What happens then? Well... What we predict in the next 10 years is if this production growth continues both in natural gas, dry gas, and wet liquids gas, and in fracking for oil, that uh, we could be energy self-sufficient. And that coupled together with, uh, you know, a little bit of wind and, and a little, you know, some improvements in fuel efficiencies, uh, our dependence on foreign energy. Uh, I'm going to include Canada as part of the North American story. Let's say our dependence on ex-North American energy couldn't mm-hmm. get close to zero in the next 10 years. So that's if the free markets are allowed to operate, if uh, regulators uh, you know, pay attention but don't try to get in the way. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, needs to buy energy from abroad is going to go down. The dollar will go up. And what will happen to our business economy, in your opinion, based on us being able to, in the next year or two, we're going to be in the beginning stages of producing a lot more domestic uh, energy? Mike, I, I see a, a whole lot of things, and, and uh, mostly good. Um, the uh, natural gas fracking is adding tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, there's the trickle down, so we're you know adding hundreds of thousands of new jobs across the country. Um, there are ancillary uh, business areas like trucking and transportation that are benefiting. A, a new steel plant has been built in Youngstown that is now supplying rolled steel to the natural gas uh, drillers. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, there's, a, there's a nice positive spiral to this. As steel is very natural gas dependent. The steel foundries are not having cheaper input costs. It's costing mm. less to make steel. And guess who's afraid of this uh, little uh, formula is that the Asian and European competitors are going to have a disadvantage. They're going to have much higher input costs. For steel. For steel Uh production. Uh, The even bigger story is in chemicals, Mike. So our our chemical uh, champions, like Dow Chemical, DuPont, Air Products and Chemicals, companies like that, are now uh, moving production back to the United States. Dow Chemical has, uh, is building its first ethylene plant in North America in the last 20 years. Wow. I didn't know that. They're building it here, Mike. Uh, they're Not ex- here in Cincinnati. Uh, they, let's see. They're building it in Texas. Well, that figures. But uh, there's there are a lot of things happening in Ohio. The um, uh, Dow Chemical, to continue that thought, uh, is exporting more and more PVC 
Okay. So well, PVC is a type of plastic, so the whole this this would be a positive uh, nudge for the entire plastics industry. Yeah, it's great. There's plastics in, in so many facets of, of our daily lives and, and the economy, uh, Mike. That um, this is going to be a huge economic driver. Our, our study uh, has an estimate of at least an additional half percent of GDP growth in the next five years due to financial gas. Mm-hmm. If we uh, extrapolate and, and hope. For additional uh, trickle effects, trickle down effects, you know, this could be an additional one percent. Uh, well, there's a lot of construction costs and infrastructure that has to be built for these uh, fragging wells. Even if they don't go into production in year one, they have to put in the roads to get to the site where they're going to put the well in. Yeah. And uh, another guest told me that there are like seven. 10-cylinder diesel engines that have to go up on each uh, well site. It's it's phenomenal what all goes into that. and there, There's so many other things going on, like the uh, Chrysler is now building a Dodge pickup truck with a natural gas engine, uh, and, and there are already buses in, in just different cities running on natural gas. Um, it's, it's, it's a real revolution. You know, I don't know if we're going to call it a revolutionary moment, but it's a real renaissance in North American energy. If we get 1% additional GDP growth in this country over the next 5 to 10 years, uh, there's going to be considerable wealth effect where, you know, consumers are going to spend more and it's going to drive other wheels in the economy. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's change gears here for a second, Martin. And... Let's talk about what you see as uh, prudent for uh, our baby boomers out there to think about in terms of uh, retirement planning. What are the opportunities? The opportunities in retirement planning uh, could probably go back to uh, what we were just discussing in, in the North American energy scene and, and, and the other parts of, of the economy. Uh, one of uh, my favorite uh, income recommendations to people looking for income are the uh, Natural Gas Master Limited Partnerships, uh, MLPs for short. Uh, these are sort of infrastructure toll road investments that uh, that charge tares for for delivering the natural gas to uh, power plants. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Martin. You know, you're uh, using some terms that some of our people might not understand. You said charge tares. Tariffs. I, I mumbled that one. I apologize. And thanks for raising your your hand there, Mike. So uh, a tariff, you know, a charge on on delivering a volume of, of liquid to a power plant is, is kind of a toll road, gatekeeper kind of way of collecting uh, revenue. And, uh, you know, from a volume perspective, that's just going up everywhere, residential to, to businesses to, again, power plants, you know, at, at the Duke Energies of the world. And um, the MLP investments we consider um, on the risk perspective to be somewhere between bonds and, and typical equities. 
So uh, less volatile, produce nice income, and have a bit of an inflation hedge as people continue to uh, use this energy. And if there is inflation, these pipeline companies can just charge a higher toll. Uh, and we like this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the quest for yields, uh, there's a challenge, you know, to find something that uh, is going to provide the income but not give you uh, all the risk of the world. Right. Let's take a, a short break here, uh, Martin. We'll be back after these messages. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Hey, I'm Eddie Huff from Sandler Training, here to talk about rule number 18, don't paint seagulls in your prospect's picture. Have you ever jumped in with a great idea that killed your sale? Let me tell you a story, a story about Nancy. Nancy's a second grader in the public school system. She's just finished art class, and she's painted a pretty good picture. It's got a house and sun in it, but it's all over here on the left side. Nancy's art teacher comes by and says, oh, Nancy, that's a very nice picture. But, honey, you need something over here on the right side to balance it out. She picks up a paintbrush and paints a seagull over on the right side of the picture. Nancy's very upset. She goes home. That night at the dinner table, Nancy's very quiet. And she pulls out her picture, except it's all folded up into a small square. The dad unfolds it and says, Nancy, darling, that is a beautiful picture. Very well done. And I especially love the seagull. Well... Nancy bursts into tears, leaves the room. He finds out that the reason she's so upset is because she didn't like the seagull. You see, Nancy didn't put it there. The teacher did. The point is, your prospect has a picture of their needs before you show up for the sales interview. If you start painting seagulls into your prospect's picture, they're going to become just as uncomfortable as Nancy. Every time you make a change to their picture, it leads to mistrust. It leads to rejection of your products and your services. Look, if their picture needs adjusting, instead of telling them or painting a seagull on their picture, let's do it indirectly. Let's help the prospect discover it on their own. Rule number 18, don't paint seagulls in your prospect's picture. Mike Roth. I'm back here with Martin Wilhelmy. We're going to change the subject again, Martin, and maybe it's 
a little bit the same, a little bit different. I have a theory here that simple solutions to complex problems are almost always wrong. So we have a complex problem uh, for people in their 50s, 60s, uh, contemplating taking Social Security in the next 5 or 10 or even 15 years. Uh, what kind of complex solutions are you guys at uh, UBS recommending for people to protect their retirements? Mike, I'm, I'm glad you put it in exactly that way. Um, complexity is is the reality, and... Uh, the first step to facing that is is you gotta you gotta understand you gotta do something. You know, if you're there and and you're faced with uh, you know your financial future, uh, and and you realize you haven't made progress and and you're not certain about the course, you just have to admit that. And, mm-hmm. and if you have a problem, then uh, then go do something about it. And uh, usually it helps to uh, you know work with the significant other to, to kind of formulate it in an emotional sense, but uh, ultimately it's usually to your best benefit to find a good professional that will help you, uh, you know, define the, the issues, the problems uh, real concretely so we can take some action steps. And uh, in, in some ways you gotta, you got to define yourself a plan, a financial plan, uh, it can be on paper. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be on paper, but it has to be pretty concrete. Um, and uh, most financial plans will, will have, you know, several aspects to, you know, the assets that you got, your liabilities, uh, and cash flow. Well, you have to have the cash flow, and you have to have the plan, because if you don't have a set of goals, you'll never, you'll never get there. In Sandler, we talk about smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable. Uh, realistic, time-bound, and in creating a a financial plan for people, uh, generally there are people see two types of financial advisors, the fee-based ones that are uh, taking a percent or so of the assets under management, and the uh, commission-based. Which one do you think is uh, better for the Investor. It uh, it might depend on the situation. Uh, typically, fee based might be more object- objectively inclined. Uh, not necessarily. There's fee based, fee only, and and commissionable ways of providing services. And the audience uh, out the, here today might have had experiences with several of those approaches. Uh, the most common. Uh, Commissional product is usually uh, some type of life insurance product where you get a product and uh, the people in, in, in the business sort of get, get paid internally and you don't see what you pay them. And uh, that's fairly common. Fee-based is usually someone has a portfolio of money and it gets managed for you know 1%, 2% or somewhere in between uh, of assets per year. Uh, a fee-only plan or someone you pay an hourly fee for and they give you advice and then you go do something else with it on your own. Um, that the last approach is, is somewhat rare because there ends up being a disconnect to the actual implementation. Uh, I would uh, 
like to see. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that disconnect? Yeah, you know, you, somebody can write a financial plan for you and then uh, walk away and say, okay, here it is. You're on your own. I'm not going to influence the outcome for you. You know, you go on E-Trade and then do what you, do what you want to do the, the most cost-effective way. Well, now you're on your own. you got some plan, and uh, you might implement it the wrong way. Um, you might get carried away emotionally. It usually helps to have a professional with you along the road. I think so. We have a, a rule here that uh, he who is emotionally involved loses by definition. Yeah, it happens all the time. Their uh, institution called Dalbar uh, likes an institution called Dalbar, uh, D-A-L-B-A-R. Their financial services financial services uh, surveying firm that has uh, found that. Uh, uh, most investors will hold a mutual fund for uh, two and a half years and usually sell their funds uh, uh, low because they bought them high. Um, well, exactly what my uh, my uncle never told me to do. He said, buy low, sell high. Gosh, you know, it's it's just so much easier to buy high and sell low because, you know what, you, that, that's where you realize I'm up high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he well, was a, quite a quad contrarian. Uh, a good investor. I would have loved to have met him and gotten known. But the um, uh, financial professional relationship, Mike, that I, I believe is best for for clients generally is the professional who has the uh, capability to offer a combination of fee-based, fee-only, and commissionable product. Which, which only brings up the question, and I know we don't have a lot of time left, but fiduciary responsibility. Yeah, fiduciary responsibility is part of the code of fee-based planners where they're supposed to act in the best interest of a client. Not in the best interest of the mutual fund yeah. or the stock trading company that they're a, part of. A stockbroker places a commissionable trade has to provide something suitable. Might not be the best, but it has to be suitable. That's a lower level of responsibility than fiduciary. Slightly lower level. Uh, however, a fiduciary responsibility could get a little bit washed out in the sense that. Uh, um, it, it uh, sometimes maybe limits the choices available to a client. And if a client wants something of a creative idea or something very new, uh, fiduciary investment platforms might not make that available to you. Mm. So if, if somebody says they're fee-based fee only and that's all they do, um, you might not get access to, to some products. So, in other words, if I wanted to buy stock in this new company called uh, Simple TV, I don't know if you've heard of them, uh, new over-the-counter, I think. Uh, in, in most cases, in a, dis, in a, in a uh, fiduciary investment platform, you would not be able to get that. Uh, you know, it's a topic of master limited partnerships, those types the of stuff. topic stocks. of what? The uh, natural gas, natural. master limited partnerships we spoke, spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, those have just started to come to some of those fiduciary platforms. They were not available and still aren't available on many platforms. 
Okay. Uh, our invest our people who are interested in investments again can get a hold of you to talk after the show at. 369-4021. That's in the 513 area code. Yep. I'd be happy to take your call and, and uh, tell you more about what we talked about today and uh, answer any of your questions. And, and that's really interesting that the there are partnerships in natural gas, which is going into production, which we see as the fuel to take us out for the next 10 years and beyond to make America energy independent. And the small investor who doesn't have $5 million to put in could actually get involved in those uh, partnerships. It's a great story where you can be part of the, uh, the this, this grand store within the North American energy renaissance that's happening uh, right around the corner here in northern Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, in the Dakotas, in Texas. Uh, it's very real. Uh, in northern Ohio, we have uh, new clients of UBS. Who uh, used to be farmers? Now they're multimillionaires. They're multimillionaires. They sold their land, or they they gave leasing rights to uh, large drilling companies like Chesapeake, uh, or to smaller drilling companies like Bronco and Quicksilver. And uh, with that windfall, uh, we've helped them with uh, some tax efficient transactions to take their windfall and put them into uh, their own LLC, and pay their taxes over a deferred period of time so they don't get hit all at once. Mm-hmm. So, Martin, we've got a couple of minutes left, maybe a minute and a half. Uh, what are the thoughts that you can give our listeners for uh, growth and protecting assets uh, during the next year? To both grow and to protect your assets, uh, you just got to hedge your bets and, and uh, do a few different things. Uh, get with a professional, and uh, the solutions might be differently suitable for one person to another, whether you pursue um, a, a, an annuity product with certain guarantees or, or mutual funds, or if you go for individual securities, like uh, really like a, a craft stock, an Apple stock, a, a, a four-year bond from Cincinnati Bell that pays 7%. Um, when you said craft, what did you mean? You didn't mean like the cheese company. Yeah, it's uh, it's the defensive stock that we like the best uh, if you want defensive growth, you know. Oh, okay. So we had uh, uh, Greg Hardman on the other week, and he makes craft beers. You know, Mike, that sounds like actually a very good uh, craft beer. Craft beer. You think that could ferment into something really? It uh, it won't be a cheesy investment. That that's for sure. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I think that could work better at the bar. Yeah. Well, his Moorline Lager House seems to be jammed, and uh, that was a good investment for him and his partners. Yeah, well, we should we should go down there, shouldn't we? Well, maybe after the show, Martin. We got to wrap up here, and uh, again. I want to thank uh, thank you, Martin, for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inv- inviting us. I am going to give you a copy of, the, of Sandler's latest latest book, Sandler Insights. Eleven Sandler. Insights. I'd like to read it. Thank you very much. That is, that is a, a great book. Thank you and happy investing and, uh, and uh, for your retirement. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at five one three. 753-9400.